You're listening to What Goes On Here, and I'm Sam Walker. Whoever we are, and whatever we do, we all have moments when we feel like we don't quite fit with the world around us. What Goes On Here is where you can listen to real stories of people who at times couldn't see a way forward, people who found themselves stuck, maybe in a life they never imagined would be theirs, people who had to face their fears, face themselves, but they changed, and changed lives of people around them too. This is season two, episode one, Steph. Stephanie Hurst is a radio and TV presenter, and to her, it's so much more than just a job. So what do I love more than anything? I love music, I love radio. This thing here, I'm so at home in front of this thing. I'm so relaxed. To give that up, I couldn't. I can't put it into words. I can't put it into words. Steph enjoyed a level of success most people can only dream about. A multi-award winning breakfast show and a national chart show too. I was on the air, doing breakfast show, really successful. Everything was great. Money was good. Life was good. House, car. But whilst professionally Steph was at the top of her game, personally, she was living with a terrible fear. It took over my my every waking moment. I would be sat on the air in our studio, but then I'd see the sales staff walking in and women just wearing fab stuff to come to work in and whatever. And it would mentally torment me. And this is while I'm talking on the air, but I'm also going, I wanna, why can't I come to work like that? Why don't I look like that? Why, why aren't I the, what? Uh, and all this is happening with mm. one half of my brain whilst I'm telling a joke or doing something else with the other half of my brain. Because for the first nearly 40 years of her life, Steph presented as a man, as Simon. And it was Simon Hurst who built up a legion of fans and won multiple awards. When you believe that being true to yourself means potentially losing everyone and everything that you love, how do you have the courage to take that step? I'd go out late at night, find a stretch of clear motorway. I could turn this car into this central reservation right now, fast as I could. Um, so I was trying to find ways to make it stop. Tell me, please, your earliest memory. The earliest memory I have, I don't know whether I'm making this up because there's a picture of it, but I like to think I do remember it. So there's a picture of me as a Polaroid, and I'm in a bath plastic mother care bath in front of our park rear fire which I did go on to touch at the age of three and singe my fingers it was a coal fire with a glass front Um, but I'm in front of this and this is where my mum used to bath me or bathe me Um, and my dad used to be in bands in the 60s, 70s and 80s and I can see his equipment piled really 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 high and his guitar leaning on his amplifier so I must be at least what 18 months old? Wow So that's my first ever memory in my mind. And you're surrounded by audio equipment. Oh, yeah, I'm surrounded by music. I've always been surrounded by music. I think if if I didn't have music, my world would be a very horrible, nasty place. What did you love growing up? What were your passions? What made you tick? Um, I loved Shaking Stevens, (laughs) randomly. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. My Uncle Chris liked him. And my Uncle Chris was dressed... um, 
from head to toe in denim with white trainers. So I had to be dressed head to toe in denim with white trainers. And yeah, I loved music. My I remember my mum taking me to buy Madness and Baggy Trousers, um, which came out in 1980 from Woolies. And then that kick-started a weekly visit to the record store. In fact, recently I've just been kind of re-sleeving some of my record collection because I've got quite a large record collection. And I put them all in white sleeves in the mid-90s. Anyway, I've been re-sleeving, I'm putting the songs back in their original covers. And do you know, is it really sad to go, you're back home now? <laughs> I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm bringing two things back together again and they should be together. But I, I remember, um, oh, it was last week, I got Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson Say, 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 which is from, what, 1983? Great song. Great song, mm. great song. Um, and it's 130-something. So in 1983, as an eight-year-old, I'd got 130 singles. That's quite a lot for an eight-year-old kid. That really is. And we were skint. We had hardly any money. My only, the only working parent was my dad. He worked in an electrical store and fixed TVs for a living. My mum was a housewife until I was probably about 13 or something like that. So for her to take me to the record store every week and buy me a single or two singles mm. if they were ex box, that actually means the world because she, you know, she knew that something made me tick. But no, I just felt loved. It's lovely. Where are your friends in all of this? Have you got good social relationships with, with peers? Um, there was a, a guy that lived a couple of doors away from me, Jamie, and he was a year older than me. And he bullied me because he was a year older. Of course he was. It's what happens, you know. It's just the... It's, the, um, it's interesting that he's the one you remembered first. I, because I still speak to him pretty much every day or <laughs> every other day. Um, so, yeah, no, he's still in my life my thorn in my side um and then yeah there was a few other people who lived on our street but we're all very much the same kind of age actually so there was a good there was a good probably five or six of us on our street on the wasteland at the back of our estate used to be an old train line and then there was about four or five pylons running down the side of it we climbed every pylon to the top his parent of small children i'm clenching at yeah. the thought of my young Every kids single, climbing pylons we climbed pylons but do you know the 70s it you was did. a different time you did you watch those public information films now and just you shiver at how scary they are um but we were doing that and you know we were we'd go out at eight in the morning and then we'd come back at eight at night no, are you happy yeah i think i was i think i was fairly happy um i remember slight confusion you know, with the gender thing. What do you mean? Well, I just, I just, there was a girl who lived around the corner from me and she had some roller skates and I remember having to go on these roller skates and all of a sudden me thinking that this feels right. This feels really right. These are girls' roller skates. These, this feels normal. This feels like I fit. And that's my first memory. And then my mum... How old were you? I'm guessing I'm about seven. And then my mum had some old knee-length brown boots, which were probably from the 70s. They were in our are kind of out building. Yeah, I remember trying those on and thinking this this feels right and I don't know why. Did you tell know. anyone? No, not until my friend John actually I in fact, you know, let me search for this text. So because when I first came out, I texted him asking him when did I first tell him and he sent me a text. And it said um how old was I when I first told you I felt like this? He says, I called at your house and you were wearing your mum's clothes and you're about 11 or 12 and you said you were experimenting and you told me not to tell anyone, so I didn't. 
your secret's safe with me. And that's amazing, actually, that what 11-year-old boys can be trusted with what you felt and he felt was a secret. Yeah, I did, I did remember talking to him about it. I do remember that. And then I didn't tell anyone again until I was probably about 16, 17, something like that. How much more experimentation, inverted commas, did you do? Oh, lots. Um, because I was left alone at a weekend, pretty much. you got to remember, it's the 80s. And as kids, we were just left alone. Yeah. Your parents would go out to the pub on a Saturday night. You're looking after a dog. So all of a sudden, I'd be sat downstairs watching TV or something. And then before I know it, I was fully dressed with a face of makeup. Really? Before you knew it? And I have no recollection of how I got from either downstairs or my bedroom into my mum's wardrobe or via the bathroom where a makeup was. I've not, the, the journey to being fully dressed, I have no recollection of. It's almost like it, it's like I was, it's just like, like almost like a zombie. I'm taken over and I'm, and I'm happy. And I distinctly remember one Saturday night walking around our block where I used to live and dressed for the first time. And I must be about 13. Really? 12, 13. Northern council estate in Barnsley. And I'm venturing out on my own, just walking around the block. How did I you need, fit? Just electric. I just wanted to get out. Just like I needed to get out. I just needed to be me. And that's it. Yeah, that's probably about, I'm about 12, 13, something like that. So desperately needed to get out. Why did you need to show other people because it's me and I just felt that this is me but I also felt terrified so I couldn't I felt like I couldn't tell anybody what were you scared of um probably being beaten up I think rejection being called a freak or a weirdo yeah just all the kind of standard things that we're all afraid of it's just, yeah, it's just afraid. And I was working at Radio Air in Leeds at the time. And the DJ that I used to help on a weekend who got me in, a guy called Paul Stead, he used to pick me up at 20 past five on a Saturday morning. And I used to, before he arrived, I used to leave our house, turn left, turn left again, walk down the street. And there was some old shops, as you would find on a council estate, a corner shop or whatever. And I remember stood in the doorway, stood there, and it's where I would wait for Paul to pick me up on a morning. But I remember being stood there and just looking out and thinking, I'm going to get caught, I'm going to get caught, I'm going to get caught. I've got to go back, I've got to go back. And then hours later, at 20 past five in the morning, because that would have been nine o'clock at night or something like that. But going back to that place where I would stand for him to pick me up was... Yeah, I think that was just, I was just testing myself. I was pushing myself. Did you ever tell your mum? Um, so my mum died uh, a couple of years ago of pancreatic cancer. And it was very sudden. It was very quick, actually. I told her when I was 16 um, because I'd waited for her to come home from work. I was dressed in her clothes and her wig and everything. And I was sat downstairs waiting for her. Now, prior to her arriving, I was stood at a bedroom window looking down the street, waiting for her to be dropped off in the car that she was going to be dropped off in daily. Ran downstairs, sat myself from a proper straight muscular and everything, sat there waiting. And she walked in and she looked at me and just said, go upstairs, go and get changed. And I did. I said, yeah, but mum, mum, but I can't. This is how I feel. I can't. 
oh, I'm a girl, I can't just go and get changed. And then that was it. Never really got spoke about again. Did you feel let down? I don't know. I, don't, I really genuinely don't know. Yeah, maybe, possi possibly. She's my mum, you know, I, I needed some help. But I don't think she knew what to do. So sometimes, when you don't know what to do, you don't do anything at all. And I think that's what she did. Were you, were you afraid that's the reaction everyone would give you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. What happened as you got older? Before I knew it, I'd passed my driving test when I was 17. And I was going out. I was going to my local shopping centre, Meadow Hall and places like that. I was out. Dressed really, as? Dress, dressed as a woman, yeah. And how did you feel when you then went home and took everything off and, and put your, quote, oh, boys' clothes back on? Well, that's the kind of, oh, I need to get it all off now. I need to get it all off. Get why, it all off. Why, why did you need to get it's, it off? It's almost like a purging thing. You just feel guilty. You go through this emotion of feeling utter guilt, going, or disgust, and just going, I'm never doing that again. No, I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it again. Forget about it. And then put it to the back of your mind, and it's not happened. And just hope that you've got every trace of makeup off your face. Just felt guilty. I, d I don't know what it was. I can't, I can't explain why. But I know a lot of people in my position all say, yes, I've done that. Yeah, felt like that. Is it also a fear? True. Absolutely true. And I just felt that... I couldn't run away from this anymore. It would not go away. As I got older, I felt myself, I, you know, I was doing it more and more and more. Then the internet arrives. So what am I? I'm 20, 21. So I remember go um, not Googling, but using Ask Jeeves and searching um, transgender or transvestite or male to female or something like that. And I needed it. It was information. I'd got Caroline's Cossie's book, which I could go and get out of the library, but that was it. That's the only thing I had. There was the George to Julia documentary that was on in the early 80s, which they re-ran again. I remember seeing that. Uh, and that obviously one going from George to Julia, um, uh, who was from Manchester, actually. And the BBC followed her transition in the early 80s and then did a follow-up. So that was information. There was some Caroline Cossie stuff that was on TV. Gloria Honeyford did an interview, which I recorded on Betamax and set the video whilst I was at school because I saw it in the newspaper um, when she'd been outed. So that was information. So to get the internet, it was the, one of the first things I ever, apart from radio and radio stations and jingles and anything to do with radio, I, that was the first thing I searched for. It's one, And I just needed information. And then from that, I, I found other people like me mm. and I met somebody online who was pretty much the same as me so we really kind of helped each other I think and had lots of great nights out so that but then I remember I remember sat with me in a bar called Velvet on Canal Street and this is when I'm about 26 something like that and she had just started to transition then she'd gone full-time I think and I remember her saying to me you have to be prepared to lose everything And I wasn't, I was on the air, doing breakfast show, really successful, everything was great, money was good, life was good, girlfriend, house, car, nah, can't, I'll just dress every so often, it'll be fine, it'll go away, it'll go away. And it didn't, it won't go away, because if it was there at 
six, seven, eight years old. It was there at 16, 17, 18, 26, 27, 28. And at 36, 37, it was still there. So it was going to be there at 46, 56 and 66 and 76. It was not going to go away. So the options are you kill yourself. Was that really an option for you? Oh, Googled it. Found out that my car didn't have a, uh, my car's got a catalytic converter, so I can't gas myself in the garage. Can't get a gun. I don't want to hang myself. It'll go wrong. I need something that's going to take me out quickly. And I was Googling stuff. Because the pain of dying was less than the pain of living. Yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah. It just became, it took over my, my every waking moment. I would be sat on the air in our studio where I did my old show. And the studio window was in front of me. My two co-hosts in front of me there. But then I'd see the sales staff walking in and women just wearing fab stuff to come to work in and whatever. And it would mentally torment me. And this is while I'm talking on the air. I'm having a conversation. I'm doing what we do on the radio and talking in front of this thing, this microphone. I'm on and I'm live, but I'm also going, I want to, why can't, why can't I come to work like that? Why do I... Why am I not? Why don't I look like that? Why? Why aren't I? The, what, uh, and all this is happening with mm. one half of my brain whilst I'm telling a joke or doing something else with the other half of my brain. No, I, and I, there's only so much of that you can do. I broke my brain. I really want to point out that at this time you talk about being successful. You you are phenomenally successful. Your career just goes through the roof. You you have such a phenomenally successful breakfast programme that is, that is known by the whole country. You then get a network programme as well. And one thing that is so successful about your programme is this brand, is the Simon Hurst yeah, breakfast programme. The Hursty brand, yeah. Hursty's Daily Dose. God. <laughs> That's it. Like I killed the dose. <laughs> really so, bad. so successful. I feel really bad. And yet, there you are thinking, wait a minute, this this creature I've created in a way, because we all create a creature yeah. on the yeah, air. You We're do. all, you, you do. know, you, do. you need to. But that that creation of that on-air brand is further away from the person you are in private than most people. Yeah, I'm, I was always, and always am, very honest on the air. And... So I was very open about everything. I ve- I pretty much said I was trans on the air without saying it. There was there used to be jingles on our show that said Simon Hurst seriously gender confused. I pretty much said it over and over again. I talked about facials, beauty treatments, all sorts of stuff. But did did people ever pick up on that and say? Yeah, I was ridiculed for it. They just took the mic, and they thought you were being incredibly self-deprecating and a new man. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, but inside I'm going, I just want to talk. I And I could have said it on the air at any single point of my career. Why didn't you? Um, I just, I don't know. I just thought there's a better way to do this. But here's something, and I was chatting to a friend about this the other day, and I posed the question to myself. If I hadn't transitioned yet and Caitlyn Jenner had come out, Kelly Maloney, and I went um, highest ranking trans officer in the British Army on the front page of the newspapers. Lots of people have done things publicly. Would I have gone pop on the air? I think I would have. Really? I think I'd have just said it. I'd have just gone nuts. I'd have either been dead by now or I'd have done it. I'd have gone pop on the air. I'd have just stopped everything one morning and gone, I can't do this anymore. Buried my head into the microphone and just 
just not even thought about playing another song and talked. Did you fantasise about doing that? Yes. You had a studio in your home where you recorded a lot of things for your programme. Did you did you rehearse yes. it? Yes. But always worried because I've got a thing called ISDN at home, which you can connect studio to studio with one of these boxes. I always just think is someone listening. But that was again, that was like walking around the block. Mm. That was the, that was the dare. That was me wanting to get caught. Me going out after my showing, I'd, I'd be on the air between six and ten. Come on, get changed, spend the rest of the day as me, as Steph, and go out in Barnsley, where I lived, or Meadowhall, or Leeds, where I'd done the show that morning. Clearly wanting to get caught, so I didn't have to do the... You were really, really to... well known in that area. You were, you know, I... Barnsley's famous son, <laughs> this phenomenally successful show. It's hard to imagine no one didn't double take in that huge shopping centre. I... There's a, um, a a guy called Guy, funnily enough, um, who's a, a wonderful voiceover artist and I, I love him dearly. And I was in a bar in Leeds. I'd been out with a friend of mine, Rachel. And um, I remember being sat in, is it? it's called The New Penny. And I think it's Leeds' oldest gay bar. And my friend Guy was in there because he knew someone else and he was sat down and I sat next to him and clearly again wanting to be caught so he then messages me about a week later saying this has been bothering me for a week was I sat next to you in the new penny were you dressed as a woman now what I used to do when I used to go out on Leeds first Fridays was I would check what was on TV that night and I'd make sure that I tweeted or I Facebooked so it looked like I was at home. Wow. So people, if they if they saw me, they thought, well, no, that can't be Esther because Esther's at home watching telly. Looks like Esther in a frock, though, doesn't it? So I would do that as a kind of decoy. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so Guy messaged me and I just said, no, no, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. And I saw him at my birthday do on, 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 on uh, Saturday night, Friday night, and... Uh, I spoke to him since about it and I said, you know, I, you messaged me and I bottled it. I wanted to say something, but I just got scared. I just got terrified. So I didn't say anything. I said, oh, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. You must have been mistaken. You said to me earlier on about it, it becoming unbearable. Just felt as if my head was about to explode. I just felt as if I've talked about being slumped against my kitchen cabinets at home. And I used to have a cat called Dave and... Um, animals are very perceptive to to how humans are and if you are to scream at an animal it will run away or bark or whatever at you um but i remember being slumped at the side of my kitchen cabinets in a corner with my head in my hands screaming and dave coming up to me my cat and just being around me and cuddling up next to me because he obviously knew that i was in some kind of mental pain how often would you do that I think it probably happened a handful of times along with I could turn this car into this central reservation right now but I would only have done that late at night when nothing else was on the road because I I wouldn't want to hurt anybody else it was always I'd go out late at night find a stretch of clear motorway car fast as I could Um, so I was trying to find ways to make it stop and then I met a girl called Victoria and um, we kind of went out for about 24 seconds um, and pretty real, pretty much realised that 
no, we're not compatible, but we love each other's company. Yeah. And um, she really helped me, unbelievably helped me. And she went out with me. Um, I'd since confided in other people, a friend of mine, Kate. She went out wig shopping for me in Sheffield with me. Um, and at this point, I'm having conversations with these two women in my life about how I'm feeling. I'm just feeling really, I can't do anything about this. Victoria is saying to me, look, you have to do something about this. You can't live a lie. It's who you really are. And then I met Kate for lunch and it came up in conversation. We'd not spoken about it for years. And she said, I've just been, you know, I was just wondering about how you deal with what you deal with. I said, oh, I got the trans thing. She, says, she went, yes. Yeah. So I said, oh, I just want to die. Bad enough. She went, you can't. I went, yeah, I just want to die. I've had enough. I just don't want to live anymore. Game over. I've had enough. It's mentally driving me around the twist. It will not go away. I said, it will, just will not fuck off. Just leave me alone. And she said, just go to the doctors. Go to the doctors. Go and see somebody. You need to get some help. Did you really yeah. want it to go away? Yeah, if I could have taken a pill that made it go away and I had to take it every day like a vitamin. Absolutely. I'd have bought them in bulk from Costco. But you never felt... You used the word electric about how you felt when you presented as a woman. You, f you felt, felt electric. Alive. You felt alive. And yet if you could have turned off that desire, you would have given up feeling electric mm. and alive. Mm. Because the thought of transitioning meant I had to lose everything I'd got. So what do I love more than anything? I love music. I love radio. This thing here. I'm so at home in front of this thing. I'm so relaxed to give that up. I couldn't. Because but someone it, else who, who maybe felt the way or feels the way that you felt probably hasn't based their entire career around a brand, a brand that has been so phenomenally successful, a brand that is known throughout the country, a brand that has given you so much that you wanted out of life. It's given you success and financial you know, satisfaction. Yeah. It's given you um, popularity. It's brought you love. It's brought you all these things you felt all would go away. I was, I was, in the end, I was willing to sacrifice them all just to be me because I just couldn't do it anymore. But in the end, how hard was it to get from, from that point of going, I can't give all that up mm. for what essentially could have been a void? That was the fear, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, completely. And I just felt that after, after going to see my GP, which Kate told me to do, and I left that meal and drove directly to my doctors, made an appointment. And because it's not an emergency appointment, it takes two and a half weeks to, to be seen. So I um, I roll up two and a half weeks later, early. I think my appointment was at 25 past four. It's about 10 to four. And I'm about to tell my GP that I'm transgender. It will not go away. So I park up in the car park. I look at my, I look at my clock. And because I've done a breakfast show that morning, Obviously, I can I can power nap like the, anyone who's done really early mornings or shift work. You can power nap like that. So I set my alarm for 20 past four and had a kip in the car. <laughs> I had half hour. But I was really nervous. Woke up at 20 past four, went into the doctor's surgery, sat down, flashed my name up. I went in, told my GP. What did her. you say? I just said, I've known since an early age that I'm a girl and... I just need some help. I need to be referred to the gender identity clinic. Can you please refer me? And she was brilliant. She was she was amazing. 
so supportive. And before I knew it, I had to record the last half an hour of my show one day, about a month later, to go and see a psychiatrist for a psychiatrist uh, psychiatric analysis. So I remember taping half nine till ten and them going at work, this never happens. Why why do you I said I've just got a hospital appointment and I can't get I can't get anything later because I didn't want to turn down any appointment because mm. I was desperate to be seen. So I was starting to kind of put my radio you know, that that played second fiddle. Went and did that, saw the psychi- uh, psychiatrist for the psychiatric analysis. And then I had another one which was in the afternoon, so that was cool. So two of them independently um did an analysis on me and then I was referred to the gender identity clinic and then I had psychotherapy for about 18 months something like that and that was us coming to the decision of yes I'm gonna do this because it was just fear Sam it was just fear of I am going to lose everything and then I got it in my head that no I can do this how did that feel liberating brilliant it was like I don't care what people think I do not give a monkeys. If you don't get it, you don't like it, well, that's your own fault and you should go and educate yourself. You see, that attitude sounds incredible, sounds inspiring, sounds empowering. It took you a long time to get there. Hell of a long time. Hell of a long time. So it's okay if you don't feel that way now about anything in oh, your life. It's a journey. Yeah, it all takes... Everyone has to go through a process and I had to go through that process. And my process was having the wonderful help that the NHS gave me with the psychotherapy and the people that I saw was brilliant. It was absolutely invaluable. And I do remember that I saw someone at the gender identity clinic um, and them telling me that, yes, you suffer from gender dysphoria. And it was like, God, at last, yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. This is right. And it was like, oh, it was. you should play some Hallelujah music or something like that because it was. <laughs> so you got to the day when the thing you, you kind of feared most had to happen and you had to leave radio. How did it feel walking away from the thing that had defined you since you were 11, 12, 13 years old? Um... Hard. Um, I, I can't put it into words. I can't put it into words how hard it felt to leave this thing. I needed time off. I needed time off. I'd done how many years on breakfast? 15. And you know, you throw you, you throw every single last bit of yourself into doing what you do because you've got a passion for it. But I'd got to the point where sleep deprivation, the gender dysphoria, I was broken. So I knew that I had to have a little bit of time off. You know, the decisions that we came to to, to stop was, I think, the right thing. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because the thing you feared and feared and feared and feared, when it came to having made that decision... It was okay. Yeah. And sometimes the fear is worse yeah, than the reality. Absolutely. It was it was the right thing to do. It was. I did need time out. Mm. But I, I would have liked to have I think I finished too early. Yeah, I'd have liked to have just, you know, done one last show. 
So being the complete radio aficionado, obsessive, one might say, as, as we know you are, there could, of course, be only one way that you decide to come out. And that's on radio. There was, there was, another, there was another method, which was to do a YouTube video. But Tom Daly stole that thunder. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh, <laughs> damn. So, um, yeah, I think doing it, doing it on radio was the right thing. So you did an interview on a, a national UK radio station. It went out, was it a Saturday night? It, went it was out? on a Saturday night. It was a Saturday night, pre-recorded show. Yeah. So was that the first time you'd been back in a radio studio since you quit? No, I don't think so, no. I'd been back in to visit friends mm. in stations. But you hadn't been on air? I'd never, I'd not talk, no. I'd not spoke through a you microphone, know. yeah. And at this point, you're still presenting a Simon? Yes. So you come and do the interview. In the seconds before those words came out of your mouth, mm. I am transgender, how are you feeling? Um, I knew I was going to say it at some point it was going to happen and I I didn't know when and at what point but the guy I did it with a guy called Stephen Nolan he was sat opposite me and we're chatting away and it just felt that this is the right time to say it there was no run-up in my mind that it's coming it just all of a sudden appeared in front of my very eyes that this is the point in the interview after about five or six minutes that I said I'm transgender which follows that kind of gap there was a gap of that amount of silence and I can't tell you how amazing that felt to just say the words and it was like I'd said it and literally everything this sounds really this sounds crap <laughs> but everything turned to color everything just all of a sudden this weight even though it wasn't live on the air but it was being recorded it was committed i'd said it to people who were around me who were strangers other radio technicians who were sitting opposite the glass my publicist was there i'd said it and there was no going back it was out, in my mind it was out there even though it had not been transmitted yet was there any time in the in the couple of days that were between the recording and the transmission where for a second you thought <gasps> i'm not going to do it no no at that point i i, I was determined were you listening on the Saturday? Yeah, I um, I went to a friend in London who used to present uh, a national radio breakfast show for a huge amount of time here in the UK. And he's a radio geek as much as I'm a radio geek. And as he has just looked after me and had me under his wing and protected me. And I was at his house and we sat and listened. And... It's a, it's a funny little story because he chatted to me on the phone as I was just getting close to his house in London. And he, um, I, we were talking about, have, have you eaten? I said, oh, no, I've not eaten. So oh, we'll go and grab some food, blah, 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 blah. And he thought in his mind that he was going to get the last official night with Simon. But I turned up dressed as Steph as me because at that point, the interview was going out that night. I got up that morning and I've never dressed as male again. So I just roll up with air extensions in as me. And he stood there going, shit <laughs> I've, I've not seen you yet and, and this is only afterwards I've learned this but he was like yeah so what you're still you and off we went to Sainsbury's and got some food and that was fine because he didn't care it was just I'm just me I'm his friend he's known since we were kids just just wonderful so we sat and listened to the interview 
I looked at Facebook and Twitter and my audience and there was there was not one bad comment. Not one bad comment. To everything you'd feared for the last 25 years. Yeah. None of it came true. None of it came true. None of it. Not one bit. And I, I get messages from people and tweets that they've heard the interview and it's really helped them and it's something that they've connected with. So for me to help other people off the back of that interview, it, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. But it wasn't my intention to, to... I thought if I could help others because my old boss, Mike, who was in Australia at the time and, and really did help me from afar, thanks to the wonderful technology that is Skype. And he said to me, you need to do this publicly because I wasn't going to do it publicly. I was willing to lose radio and go away and just start again. But Mike said to me, you know, you could save lives with this. So I just thought, yeah, he's right. If I could do something right with this and positive. And even if it means helping people understand the fact that when I was in utero, when I was being created in the womb, in my mum's womb, body went one way, brain went the other. Children are born with holes in their hearts, with limbs missing, with extra organs, biology sometimes just gets things a little bit wrong so body goes one way brain goes mm. the other way and soon as i told people that they went oh yeah so it's not kinky no there were things that you were you were really scared of losing yeah. if if you came out if you admitted to the world hang on i am a girl mm. the friends you feared losing that didn't happen the family you feared you'd lose that didn't happen. The third massive love of your life, and some might say the big love of your life, was radio. And mm. you had to lose that. You had to lose that for your own sanity and to give. Yeah. You're, you're transitioning enough energy, but you didn't lose it forever. No, I didn't. How did it feel the first time you put the mic up and you saw the red light and you got to say, on air, I'm Stephanie Hurst? Um... Hugely liberating, hugely liberating, um, along with the mic's distorting. I don't like my voice. <laughs> the headphones are too quiet. Ah, I've got all these emotions because when you're on the air and you're a broadcaster, you've got so many things running through your mind. So I do that and I say that and I'm on the air and great, I'm back. Boom, I'm on. And then oh, this is distorting. Does that feel right, though, that yeah. actually nothing's changed yeah, in nothing's that respect? Yeah, nothing's changed. Because I used to be in my old studio in Leeds and go, Mike's distorting today. They turn these headphones down. <laughs> Can't hear what I'm doing. So all the same frustrations were still there because I think if you are a broadcaster, we're all a bit odd. <laughs> but I love it. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. I want to know where you are now, sat in front of me, 40 years old a beautiful woman thank you I you've got friends around you you've got family around you y your love your first love radio is around you I want to know now if you could open that little window in the space time continuum and talk to the the little boy he's putting his mum's boots on in the shed what would you say to him it's going to be alright it'll be fine it'll be okay I wish I'd done it sooner but actually, do you know what? I enjoyed, I enjoyed the past 20 odd years in radio. I kind of enjoyed the male persona a little bit. 
even though it was hard work sometimes, there was a bit of escapism in there where I could hide behind it a little bit. But I was always, I always said what I wanted to say. I never lied. Do you miss Simon? Um, do I miss him? No, not really. He's still here. I'm still me, you know. The only thing that's changed is on the outside, what people see. And to me, nothing's really changed the way I, you know, the way the studio looks or anything like that, the way you look. Just everything's a bit more vivid. I've got a bit more colour. There's a bit more clarity. My brain's not foggy anymore. It's not got the gender dysphoria and everything that springs off that. So, yeah, so everything, there's more clarity. Life's in colour. And that's the only way I can express it. So, you know, when you've got a hangover and you feel drained and you just like your brain's foggy and you can't focus. My brain was like that a lot. And it's not now. It's just all felt really natural. Mm. Nothing's felt like it's out of place or anything like that. So is it fair to say that living with fear was worse than reality of actually making the decision? The fear is worse than reality because you build it up in your mind. If you're afraid of doing something, you think about it constantly. And I think that's what I did. I just thought about it absolutely. Every minute of every single day, it was always there. The fact that, ah, girl... Oh, I'm a boy though. I don't want to be a boy. I'm not a boy. And this drives you absolutely insane. So the fear builds up and manifests itself into something quite huge. But actually when you do it, and I said the words on the radio, and then I see how the public is, and a week later I'm stood on the top of the DJ stand in a working class town of Barnsley where I'm from, and I've got my hands in the air, and I'm DJing on a DJ stand. And then a couple of months later, I'm turning on the Christmas lights in front of 15,000 in my hometown of Barnsley. And then I'm back on the radio and I'm working on TV. And I see all these things and I go, actually, do you know what? It was, the, the fear was much worse than the reality because the reality is actually something quite beautiful. And anybody who's facing any fear, whether you're, you're in a relationship where you feel as if you... You can't be yourself or you can't be free um, or it's an abusive relationship and you feel trapped. You can get out of this um, or you're not expressing yourself sexually as you should be. The reality is much better than the fear. It really is. And just talk to people about it because that's the best thing to do is talk. Because if you build it all up inside, that fear will only manifest itself even more and it will it will own you and take over you. You can't let fear own you. You can't. You need to take control of it. And I genuinely believe that if you surround yourself with good, positive-minded people, good things happen. So I always try to just think to myself, do you know what? It'll be all right today. We'll have a good day. Be fine. And if something bad happens, you just pick yourself up, dust yourself down and crack on. And that's what you have to do. But don't let fear own you. You have to be in control of it. And it just takes a bit of determination and focus. So yeah, don't let it bloody own you. Tell it to bugger off. Stephanie Hurst was talking to me, Sam Walker. You've been listening to What Goes On Here. Coming up next on Season 2, Episode 2, Anthony. Doctor took me into the room with the results and um, he says, um, you're a boxer, aren't you? And I says, yeah, yeah, I'm, 
he sat me down. He said, um, "You've got a big fight next month, haven't you?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm fighting for a world title." Um, four weeks time. I said, "God, listen, that's not going to happen." And uh, oh, it, was, it broke my heart. Do you know I'm not afraid to say it. I broke my heart.